Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Cool. Well, it's really good to be here with you uh, this morning, as, as always. Um, we're continuing on. We've just got a couple of weeks left in, in our series on discipleship where we've been kind of processing what it is to, uh, as a body, think about going uh, deeper. I mean, we've got some groups started and uh, we're sort of recovering some of that capability of doing discipleship in groups. But we're still asking ourselves lots of big questions about what uh, discipleship really means for us as a body, uh, what what the needs are of people. But one of the things sort of almost preliminary to that, that period of us uh, asking questions and, and doing discovery around discipleship was that we just kind of identified that there were a number of things that were just barriers to discipleship, just things that are challenges for us. Like, I think, as, as we said, you know, every session, you know, we, we want discipleship. We want a deeper relationship with Jesus. We want more intimacy with him. We want to know him better. We want um, a better sense of resilience as Christians. We want better fruitfulness as Christians. And yet at the same time, when we think about processes of discipleship, uh, you know, rising early in the morning to consistently read the scriptures and pray and engage with God uh, in, a, in a deep way, being embedded in a group where our hearts are really joined with other people, where they can speak into our lives, uh, being in mentorship relationships where people are really uh, speaking with authority into us and helping us overcome the deep challenges of our lives, our, our flaws, our failings, our weakness, our sin. Uh, when, it, when it comes to thinking of the level of um, commitment that's required that, say, Jesus' disciples did, you know, three years of literally walking with him day by day, we think of taking on that kind of commitment. We really want the fruit of discipleship, but oh man, if if those things are the things where we need to commit to to be discipled, that's that that's a harder deal. It's not something that we're anxious to do. And we've identified uh, these these sort of barriers to discipleship. These things that are like cords that are pulling us back from the race. Our high individualism, uh, our distracted nature, our anxiety, uh, the social tension that we're wrestling with. And this week we're talking about uh, just the sense of exhaustion uh, that, that people feel. When you, when you ask almost anyone uh, what it is that you're, you're wrestling with or, or how are you doing today, you just ask this simple question to almost anybody. Like, how are you doing? Like, I think, I think probably f well over 50% of the time when I ask that question or when I'm asked that question, the answer is I'm tired. Right? I'm just weary. Like, we're, we're, we're weary people. Uh, there's a cultural weariness that is, is, is something that seems like it's kind of over us all, something that we have experienced as people. Some of it is sort of a post-pandemic uh, weariness, and some of it is uh, a cultural weariness, and some of it is the busyness of work and life and career and all of those things coming together so that uh, our perception of ourselves is that we don't have a lot of capacity. Is that fair? We, we, we're running at 100 miles an hour and to, to go an extra five, that, that's a lot of energy and, and input to, to begin to do that. Uh, some of that, of course, like is 
based on, you know, the, like if you think of what burnout is, there's, there's a lot of talk sort of in, in sociology right now about burnout culture. Um, and so if you ask somebody, you know, if they're, if they're tired, if they're burnt out, uh, what's going on in their lives, um, you'll, you'll have a higher number of people than ever that would say, yeah, I think that, that word, that descriptor, descriptor uh, burnout, you know, does kind of apply to me. Um, in 2022, the National Institute of Health did a little study on it. And they, they said, you know, we, we would expect that we would see that, you know, high-performing executives, doctors, nurses, dentists, professionals would be the group that we would see the highest rates of burnout in. But when they uh, did this study, they found uh, something a little bit unexpected because the study was not targeted just to those professions. The study was targeted across the workforce. Uh, so they, they, they asked this question of doctors and executives and lawyers and dentists, but also of people who would be uh, in careers in, in trades, people who were in um, you know, part-time labor, the person who works at McDonald's for, for half a week, the, even the single um, parent who's at home with their kids, the stay-at-home mom, the stay-at-home dad. And what they found out was that people who self-identify as burnt out uh, really go across that spectrum. So you can have a person who feels burnt out who's uh, only working part-time. You can have a person who feels burnt out who is a, you know, a high-level executive. You can have a person who feels burnt out who is a stay-at-home uh, parent. And so what, what, you know, when, when you think about that, that idea of being tired, of being burnt out, where you would have traditionally attached that idea to sort of the high-performance person in the workforce... Uh, now that idea is attached to really just a broad cross-section of society. And so we're sort of asking ourselves, well, if it's not work that's burning us out, if it's not our, our, our career, if it's not that, what is it that's burning us out? What is it that is making us feel weary and tired? And, and of course, when it comes to that labor piece, uh, one of the things we want to look at, obviously, is, you know, how do we rest? Uh, what does Sabbath mean when we think of ourselves as, as tired and, and burnt out and, and working hard? We want to ask ourselves what Sabbath means. Um, we're going to look in a little while at the scripture uh, from the words of the teaching of Jesus. You know, all you who are weary and heavy laden, uh, come and I will give you rest. We're going to kind of look at that, what it means to be in Jesus' rest. And, and we would think, you know, the solution then must be Sabbath. The solution must be that kind of resting state with Jesus. But when he began to teach about it, when he began to teach about uh, his yoke being easy and his burden light, in the texts surrounding that in Matthew 11 and Matthew 12, he actually uh, does some work deconstructing Sabbath. A little bit. So he's immediately after that teaching on take my yoke upon you, my burden is easy and light. He, he begins to uh, sort of walk through the fields with his disciples on a, on a Sabbath, on a Saturday, uh, trying to get to the next place where they're going to go speak and do their mission. And they're harvesting grain as they go to feed themselves. So sort of that strict Sabbath regulation where I just completely unplug from anything that is uh, feels like effort is required, that's not quite jesus vision of rest um he goes on uh, the next part of the story is when he's getting in trouble for healing people on the sabbath 
So he's doing ministry on the Sabbath. He's doing kingdom work on the Sabbath. And, 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 and yet at the same time, the context of that is somehow his yoke easy, his burden light, him giving rest. So, so what does it mean? It's not, it's not the work of ministry uh, that, that is supposed to be wearying and, and tiring us out. It's not our calling as Christians. It's not supposed to be uh, our vocations that are necessarily uh, those things that weary us. We, you know, we're, we're taught in the scriptures to work hard. Uh, Proverbs says hard things like the person who doesn't work doesn't eat. And work is a glorious and, and beautiful thing. Uh, so, so we don't want to just look at those things as for why we're tired. But, but what is it? What is it that is actually making us uh, feel weary? And, and I think it's some other things. Uh, the image that you're seeing on the screen is of somebody swimming uh, with their clothes on. How many of you, do you remember swimming lessons as a kid? Right, I remember swimming lessons. I don't know if this was part of the program where, where you guys did swimming lessons, but we, you know, learned to tread water. We learned, you know, to swim laps and do all of that stuff. But part of the survival training that came with, with swimming lessons was us bringing a spare set of clothes, putting on our jeans and our shoes and our socks and our, you know, all the whole deal of what we would normally wear and jumping in the water and, and having to tread water. And I think that's kind of like our reality. I think we are trying to swim, we're trying to function, uh, we're trying to move, we're trying to stay alive, we're trying to keep our heads above water. But we're wearing stuff that we're supposed to be wearing. And it's not our working lives necessarily, although that can be out of balance with rest. And it's not necessarily um, the ministry things that we feel called to. But there's something else that is clothes that we're wearing that, it, that, it, that is slowing us down. And I think that what sociologists are, are looking at is what are those cultural things? What are those uh, aspects of our lives that are, are weight that we can shed, that are things that we're not supposed to be carrying? What has changed in our culture that is causing us to, to have this sort of overall sense of weariness that goes beyond what makes sense, goes beyond what we can sort of see in terms of the obvious answers. Um, and I think those things are, I, I think we're weary from our abundance of stuff. I think we're weary from uh, pressure to self-actualize. I think we carry too much knowledge. We're gonna talk about all these things in more depth. Uh, we have false expectations about life. Uh, we have the weight and burden of our sin. And I think those are really the things that are actually the clothes we're wearing while we're trying to tread water. And so, but I want us to hear something in, in Jesus' heart as we, as we begin to talk about these things. He is wanting you to have rest. He does not want you living a life of exhaustion. He does not want us living lives where we are, are, are spiritually so tired that we can barely open our Bibles to read them. That's not what he wants for us. So I'm just going to read this text and we're going to unpack it a little bit. And then we'll, we'll go into some application. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the first thing I want us to see in that is that uh, our weariness is met with an invitation to draw close to Jesus. Our weariness is an invitation to fellowship. The solution is going to be in him. The solution is going to somehow be in that relationship. That word labor is a Greek word, kopayo, which is like exhausting labor, worn out, uh, depleted. There, there, are, there are those of us who uh, feel like just the work of living has worn us out, has depleted us, has, has broken us down uh, in a certain way. Uh, heavy laden is, is a word that means not just heavily laden, but overpacked. How many of you have ever been on a trip and, uh, and you've got that 50-pound weight limit in your carry-on or whatever it is? I can't remember what the weight limit is. Right? How many of you have that bag, like, so densely packed <laughs> that it is like some kind of neutron star compressed by incredible gravity? You've had your children lying on the thing so that you can close it and zip it up. There's a way in which we are weary and heavy laden by, by taking things, I think, with us on our trip through life that we just don't need to have with us. So Jesus is saying, like, I, I see that burden that you're carrying. I see that you are weary, and, and I want to give you rest. And, and then what do you just, he says, like, take my yoke upon you. That actually doesn't seem like an encouraging phrase when you just leave it standing out there. That's what a yoke looks like. For those of you that don't have farming backgrounds, I realize we need to describe what this word even means sometimes. Right? A yoke is this, this uh, it can go on a horse or it can go on, on cows and, or, or oxen. So the, the weight of the plow that they're pulling is distributed on their shoulders. And it's like this, like this thing looks like it's made out of solid oak. It looks like it probably weighs 150 pounds. Right? Like there's, there's a way that we feel like that's what a yoke is. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It, it's light. It's easy. And so I don't know what that means. That aluminum yoke, I don't know what that means, you know. But, uh, but there, there's a way in which I think this implication, that, like uh, this idea that we would carry Jesus' yoke, that we would put his yoke on us, implies that we take some other yokes off. It implies that the heavy yokes that we're carrying have to come off of us. I, I just want to, do we identify with this? Do you, do you think there are some things that you're carrying that are not right? That are, that are too much, that aren't Jesus' yoke, they're somebody else's yoke, right? And these are what some of them are. I think this is what sociologists are kind of identifying, just changes that have happened in culture and then some, some broader things. But, but I think one of those yokes is uh, an exhaustion that comes from knowing too much. Like we have so much access to information I don't want us to, to be people who hide our heads in the sand or like living in la-la land. Like that's not 
what we're talking about, but I, think, I don't think you're meant to know about every war that is happening on the planet. I don't think you're meant to know about every conflict. I don't think you're meant to see every graphic image of something evil that is happening around the world. I don't think you're need, need, we, we're meant to know in such detail about what happened in Lewiston, Maine. I don't think we, we, we need all of that information. I think there's a way in which, uh, I think about my grandparents, they used to just read the newspaper every morning. And you would get the news presented to you. Do you remember your newspaper? You know, you, you did those media assignments in grade school and in high school where you just lay out the facts. This is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened. And you could take that information about what's going on and take that into yourself and you could you know, sort of prayerfully bring that before the Lord and then you could close the newspaper and let it go. But when you've got visceral images being blasted at you at such a phenomenal rate and, and you're not just getting the news, you're not just getting the facts, you're getting information coming at you that is loaded with political commentary, loaded with emotion, uh, that, that, that's supposed to make you feel a certain way so that you click the next click. I just don't think we're meant to know that. So, so just, I think, a little counsel uh, from Jesus in Matthew 24, and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. There's a way to know without being alarmed. We, do, we don't want to have our heads in the sand, but there's a way to know without carrying the weight. And there's a way to know that leads us to prayer and not to worry. And so I think there's that calling on us to, I think, I think it would be wise, and this is just very practical for us, to simplify the way in which we take information in. Simplify the way information comes to you a little bit so that you're not wear, wearing a yoke of, of too much knowledge. So that's one. Another form of exhaustion that I think we wrestle with is an exhaustion of abundance, where, where once we had like so much, um, you know, there was, there was an exhaustion of trying to survive. You think of the, the dirty 30s, you think of the, uh, the, you know, the Great Depression, where so much effort was required to, to grow your food and get it in the root cellar and can your vegetables. Uh, right now, I think we're kind of looking at that as, as, I would like life to be like that. I would like to do some gardening, right? We have in our culture and in this place that we're living, uh, just an, a, such an abundance of choice that it, that it requires enormous effort just to execute at, on simple decisions. You know, maybe even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if you wanted to go on a trip, what did you do? You would call a travel agent and you would maybe look at a brochure and you would get some health insurance and then you would show up at the airport, right? What do you do now? You read 10 reviews on Expedia, you read 10 reviews on TripAdvisor, you book your own flights, you optimize all the time, you, you manage what meals you're gonna eat on the plane, you have to select what baggage you're gonna carry, are you gonna pay the extra, or are you gonna have your kids like pounding on your bag to try to get enough in so that you stay under the weight limit but can get by with only a carry-on? You know, the amount of decisions that are necessary to make a simple decision are, are, are insane. It's insane. I, I, I'm specifically for a reason. I'm wearing my, my shiny new boots today. So you can see 
And, and actually, that was not a bad decision. That was like a sale I came across. They're like boots that like I saw on Amazon for 120 or sorry, 425 bucks that I got for 140 dollars. So good sale. That happened fairly quickly. But you know, and I, I'm making fun of myself here, but it's actually not really all that funny. I, I spent probably an hour and a half trying to choose shoelaces for these boots. And I bought shoelaces that I said, I don't like them. I'm going to return them. I'm going to go and get these other shoelaces. I watched YouTube videos on my shoelaces. I found some guy on YouTube who was taking a swath of shoelaces from across the massive shoelace market and testing the amount of force that was required to break the shoelaces so that I could choose the strongest shoelaces possible. You can tow a car with my shoelaces. <laughs> in case you ever need to tow a car with my shoelaces. Like, do we need to tow cars with my shoelaces? Like, it's ridiculous. I would like that hour and a half back because the shoelaces that came on the boots were probably going to do okay. So I've gotten caught in that. And we, and we just love to optimize everything. We, we want to optimize our kids' programs to the end. We optimize our, voca our vacation. If we're going to choose a restaurant, we just don't go to a restaurant. We read 10 reviews to find out which restaurant is the, the best restaurant that we could go to in the area. And, hey, is that review legit or is that like an owner review kind of plunked in there? You know, like we're, we're, we're just spending so much time on making choices that we spend not enough time living out our choices. Right? There, there needs to be, for us, a simplicity that comes. And an obedience, right? A, a trusting of Jesus with some things. So that, that his leadership is a part of how we make those decisions. And we don't, we don't need as much control as we have. We don't need as much choice as we have. That's something that I think is a yoke. The absolute riches we have, the absolute abundance we have. You know, how much time can we spend choosing a new faucet for our kitchen? Like, I just don't think we need that. I think some simplicity for us would go a long way to reducing uh, that burden. There's also the exhaustion of self-creation. Like, we're under enormous pressure to fix ourselves. Now, I believe that Jesus wants to transform us. I think that's what discipleship is about. We need to be changed. But there's a very different, there's a very big difference between how Jesus changes us and how we come under pressure to change ourselves. If you flip through Instagram for any amount of time, you know that you are challenged to uh, change your weight, to change your, you know, to games to to increase your neuroplasticity uh, you know like like there's just an enormous pressure to be something that you're not now jesus does want to change us i don't think christianity is like i affirm you exactly the way you are that's exactly who you should be i think christianity calls us to transformation second corinthians three seventeen. now the lord is spirit and when the spirit of the lord is there is freedom it's interesting right there's freedom and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So there is a desire in the heart of God 
to change us and transform us. We, we look at anything that's going to change us as something that's restricting our freedom as a culture. But, but what the scriptures say is that when we behold the Lord, it changes us, it transforms us. That is a biblical definition of freedom. He changes us to freedom. He changes us to making us new. He changes us to being lighter of heart. He changes us to being more filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Like, like self-discipline. Even self-discipline listed among the fruit of the Spirit is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-discipline, self-control is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not self-control at all. It's the work of God among us. So we, we spend all of this time trying to craft ourselves, trying to craft our, our identity, trying to craft, craft. I mean, that's partly what I'm doing with the shoelaces, right? I want these shoelaces to be a true reflection of my personal brand. Like, how ridiculous, right? Like, it's ridiculous. That's just effort that I didn't need to expend. Spent beholding the glory of the Lord and allowing Him to transform me according to His agenda, not my agenda, not my control, not my choice, not responsible for my own identity. My identity shouldn't matter. I should want His identity. I should want to be seen as him, right? And so, again, that's another yoke we can take off of ourselves, that yoke of needing to craft ourselves and, and transform ourselves. There's another yoke that's on us, and I don't really know how to describe this. Um, I, I was reading a book by a guy named Mark Fisher. He's, a, he's an economist, and he, he used a term called uh, depressive hedonia or, or hedonism, depressive hedonism. And what that means is that we have a desire uh, to feel good, to feel at ease, to feel at peace, to feel uh, right about everything that's going on in us. And, and the thought of going into a situation that doesn't feel nice, that doesn't feel good, or that is hard work, or that is difficult, feels like not good to us. Right? It feels like failure to be in a place where you're working hard. But there is some work, there is some good things that we are called to do that simply aren't easy. Right? Like, I mean, I think, okay, do you experience this too? Since Instagram came, do you find it harder to sit down and read a book? Right? Like, I don't have time for that. I don't have the energy for that. Like, that's really hard. It is much easier to get the easy dopamine fix, right? It's an easy dopamine fix to bring in that information on Instagram and have it scrolling past you. You can be so passive and still feel like you're getting somewhere, still feel like you're accomplishing something. Uh, to do a job where maybe it feels bored or to do a job that requires you know, physical effort, uh, to do the, the to keep our houses clean, to, to do the dishes, to keep our rooms clean. Those things don't feel good. And I think there's also a, a thing about our walk with Jesus that, that he would want to say to us, I want to clean your room with you. I want to do the dishes with you. 
My spirit is present in you as you do the things that are hard. Allow the spirit to be with you when you do the mundane. Allow the spirit to be with you when you do the plain. Allow the spirit to be with you speaking to you with your hands in the soapy water. There's a false expectation that we have that, that everything ought to be comfortable and everything ought to be easy and everything ought to be a day at the spa. And we have this idea that, that those ultimate forms of rest, those actually expensive forms of rest, uh, where we carve out this perfect experience of bliss and joy for ourselves, that's where we finally can go, oh man, I just got away from it all and I was just able to sit down and be right? We, we've, all, we've all tried to carve that out for ourselves. And, and that we do need those moments. I'm, I'm not meaning to judge us for, for those things, but there is also a rest along the way that's really important. A rest in the work of Jesus, a rest in the work of the kingdom, a rest that happens in the day-to-day. There can be beautiful simplicity for us as we love our families by caring for our homes and washing our dishes and not seeing those things as labor and work that's that's killing us and grinding us down but seeing those things as acts of love and care and concern and and having the presence of jesus full in the midst of them Amen. right uh, it's, it's all over the scriptures work with your hands lead simple lives these callings on the lives of christians to just walk in this way and then there's uh, the ultimate, the exhaustion of sin. And I think this is the ultimate yoke that, that needs to be taken off of us. We have sin patterns in our lives. We have addictions to things we shouldn't have addictions to. Uh, we have angers and unforgiveness and things that we just carry that, that I know Jesus doesn't want us to be burdened by. Uh, Psalm 38.4, this is David really this for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me the secret sin that you carry the uh, things that are thoughts in your heart that nobody else can see those are burdens that that weigh you down and make you tired that you do not need to carry with you that I don't need to carry with me. James uh, 5.14. Is, is anyone sick? And that word sick is a really broad word for sick in the Greek. It's not just physically sick, but it, is anyone soul sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will for, be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. Or there's, there's, there's power in not carrying those burdens by yourself. There's, there's power in unburdening uh, yourself to your close community of people you trust, uh, letting them carry uh, that sin burden, letting them pray over you, letting them pray the gospel over you and speak the gospel over you and preach the gospel to you again and again, this incredible gospel, First Peter 2, that he himself bore our sins. Those sins that are over our head, that are a heavy burden, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Right? He, he wants to carry that. We, we have to just go to the cross again and again and again and go to our community again and again. And so we read this text again uh, with, again, understanding this, that like, he loves us. I think some of these things that, that, that we burden ourselves with, I think he looks at them and so, someone says, like, that's an idolatry. And there might even be this wrath of God over some of that stuff. But, but as I pray for us as a community, I, I think Jesus is just looking at us and saying, oh, kids, why are you carrying that? Why are you carrying that burden? Would you just let me lift it from your shoulders? Would you spend time with me and less time looking at shoelaces and optimizing everything in your life? Would you come and dwell in my presence? Would you come and dwell in my word? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Adopt a posture that, that says, Jesus, I, I somehow, I have not been doing this well. I have not been plowing well. I have not been, I've been carrying all of this stuff. Uh, I, I don't know, there's no switch I can flip to make life instantly better here, but, but would you teach me what it means to walk with you? Would you teach me what it means to be in ministry with you? Would you teach me what it means to journey with you in a way that uh, this mission is light. This mission is somehow easier. And, and, and this is like, this is the dream of Isaiah 40 that we sang earlier. Where he gives power to the faint. So it, it's releasing these burdens off of us that we ought not to be carrying. But when we carry his burden, we carry his burden in an empowered way empowered by his Holy Spirit. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall be faint and weary, and young men shall feel exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And that is like a continual renewal. Renew again and again and again. Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isn't that the dream? It's not just not being weary when you're at the spa. It's just not, not being weary when you're resting. Can you, can you, the biblical vision is to run while not being weary. Like, like pouring our lives out for the kingdom, seeking uh, Jesus' gospel to go forward to the lost, coming together as communities of worship, and to run in those things, and somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, run and not be weary, and walk and not faint. I think he wants that for us. Passionately engaged in the things of God, bearing his yoke, and somehow empowered by his Holy Spirit and somehow walking and not fainting. There is our rest, our way of resting, and then there is his rest. And if you look at these images, like we, when we try to create rest for ourselves, and I'm not saying, I'm not meaning to judge, like these aren't bad things. A game of soccer is good. Um, playing games on, on the computer with your friends can be fun. Sleep is good. 
you know, whatever hobbies it is, camping, trailering, golfing, playing chess, whatever it is, those, those ways that we have of resting aren't bad. But there, there, there's a way in which if, if we're looking to those things as the source of our sustenance, as the source of, source of our strength, and if we're completely in control of our lives and what it means to rest, uh, the reality is that that's, that's, a, that's a closed system. That's, that's a circle that, that, that if we're in control, he's not in control, right? The rest that he has for us, that he intends for us, is, is an open system. We've got a little guy in the image there, and he's got his work belt on, and he's prepared to do the things he's called to do. But, but in the midst of it, Jesus is directing him, so he doesn't have the weight of decision on him. Jesus is speaking to him, so, so he's led into places that are rich and fulfilling, that story of Jesus walking with his disciples on the Sabbath, able to walk through a field and, and, and glean grain so that they had nourishment and sustenance along the journey, along the way, right? His supernatural power entering into our lives, healing us and strengthening us, us doing ministry in ways that is not just where you see a direct correlation between your effort and the fruit. You see your effort going in and a multiplication of fruit that comes by his power. And the joy of seeing fruit multiplied by his power. Where I put in 10% and he puts in 90% and beautiful, amazing things are happening. I think that's his vision for us, is to, to live in a way that rest is directed by him, uh, coming to him for Sabbath, coming to him for rest, taking his yoke on us so that he has the reins and he controls us and he shapes our direction. And we're doing his work. But somehow we have more strength than we've ever had because of what he's doing in us. And that's what, that was Paul's life. Like, listen to Paul. You know, you know, who would have taken the teachings of Jesus and said, I want to apply this to my life? But the Apostle Paul, listen to the description of his journey. He's unpacking this in, in uh, 2 Corinthians. He says, are they servants of Christ? I, I'm a better one. I'm, am I talking like a madman? I, I have far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Ah, life of rest and ease and peace. Like, I love this journey of Paul. Okay, Pastor, you should have stopped a few minutes ago. This is no longer encouraging. Um, you know, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, in hardships, through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me on my, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? This is Paul walking with Jesus' yoke. And this is how he celebrates it. By the time we get to 2 Corinthians 12, that list has been extended out. My grace this is when he's, when he's talking to God about um, the suffering that he has in terms of physical illness. 
And he says this, he says, uh, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may walk upon, rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. That doesn't sound like fun, but wouldn't you rather have his strong than our strong? Wouldn't you rather have his yoke that leads to uh, fruitfulness, his yoke that leads to his empowerment, his yoke that leads to uh, his strength supernaturally active in our lives. And so that question just comes to us, I think, as a discipleship question. How do we shed our false yokes and pick up Jesus' yoke of love and live life empowered by his spirit? I don't think there's an easy answer for that. I, I, I think that this is something that we need to kind of take home and, and say, Lord, what, what are the false yokes that I'm wearing? What are the false expectations that I'm carrying? What is the burden of sin in my life? What is the burden of my abundance that I'm carrying so many things to make choices on based on the amount of wealth that we have? Where do I need to lay aside some of that and live a life that is more simply focused on following Jesus? And then how do I live in such a way with his yoke, empowered to do the things he's calling us to do, and, and running, running, somehow running and not getting weary? I, I don't know how to walk with this out of my own life. I would, I would say that in terms of where I'm at personally in ministry in this moment, having gone through the transition and all the stuff that we've endured, I, I would honestly feel like I am probably more weary right now than I have been in a long time. But I believe that this is the path to strength. Learning what it is to be yoked by him and learning not to be wearied by the foolish nonsense that I've invested my life in. Letting him take those false yokes off me and empowering me to be who he's called me to be and do what he's called me to do. That's the vision, I think, of Christianity. I think that's what we want to be as a church. I think that's what we probably want to be as people. So Simon, you, you and the team can come ahead. We're going we're gonna to sing this, this, just a simple song of, about following Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus because I think ultimately that's what it comes down to for us. I, I, didn't, I did a sermon illustration, um, and I don't know if you remember this, but back in the old fire hall church where I set up two, um, two uh, step ladders with the steps sort of going out like this. And I could, I could sort of step on, you know, the bottom rungs of the step ladders and, and kind of be okay. Like, this is, you know, following Jesus here, and this is following my own plan over here. And, and I could sort of do that, and I was like, yeah, I can balance these two things. And I stepped out onto the next rungs of the step ladders. Life is getting a little harder. Yeah, I could sort of follow this Jesus way over here, and, and I could sort of 
follow this worldly way of being over here. Call me higher, Lord. And I step up onto the next one. And the next one. And I had somebody actually backing up the, had to get call somebody from the, the, the crowd to hold the step ladders because they started like sliding apart a little bit. Because there's enormous tension in holding, in trying to stay in both kingdoms, in trying to pull with two yokes. And I went to step in the next one and the next one. And, and I'm like Van Damme. I'm like doing the splits almost. Right? Like, like it, it, it's impossible. You cannot do it. You have to choose the Jesus yoke. You have to choose the kingdom side. And it's the only way to live life without that pain and without that tension. So we're going to sing this. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. I've decided to follow Jesus. And I don't know what that means for you, your practical choices, how the yokes come off you. And what it looks like for Jesus' yoke, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' calling to come on you. That's, that's something for you and the people you're being discipled by, the groups you're in, your close friends, your spouse. Those conversations, I think, need to happen. But there is a call to a simpler way of following Jesus that I promise will provide more joy and more rest. Maybe hardship like Paul experienced, but true rest for your souls. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.